0: This
1: is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. And for the third time, Denis Rancourt. Thank you for joining me in the trenches again.
0: Yeah, we're making it a regular thing, huh? <laughs> Uh, I, I, think I feel it's, like I'm in your, your your living room almost. Like I'm just, it's just so comfortable to be back here. It is,
1: isn't it? Um, and I yeah. think you're one of my favorite guests, which is why uh, you you are returning. And we're going to be chatting about something that you and I actually haven't chatted about, and that's climate change. Um, but before we do that, you were just telling me now a moment ago that you were with the truckers.
0: Yeah, I was. I was on Parliament Hill just now. They asked me to speak. They put me in there. I was the first speaker in the lineup just after the music and so on. It's exhilarating to be there. I mean, it's a it's a huge street party, but it's a political street party. And it was so it was just wonderful to be with them. And they were very receptive. And I had some wonderful conversations with very open minds afterwards. You know, people just gathered around and we talked. And um, then I had to uh, rush back to come to this to your interview, uh, which is fine and I'm happy. Uh, but it, it was a glorious sunny day and there were a lot of people out there, a lot of, a lot of dancing, really good high spirits. I mean, it's the closing, it's the end of, of the um, what the government calls the occupation, which just means that they were very present and they were honking. And there were oh, thousands of trucks. You, you cannot imagine the magnitude of this thing. You couldn't even get into, you couldn't get close to the parliament with with an automobile or anything because all the all the streets that lead to the main street which is wellington that 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 has the parliament on it they were all just plugged up with trucks and and pickup trucks and cars and everything with all kinds of signs i've been taking a lot of pictures um it's a it's a very exciting time i mean the government pushed canadians too far and now they're we're pushing back. you know. That's really how it goes. It's
1: about time yeah. though, because Canada has this reputation of yeah. being way too nice.
0: Yeah, that's right. And, and we have been way too nice. And you know, it, it's very different. The, the professional class are just going along with this. They're happy. They don't have mm-hmm. to commute to work. Uh, they have their salaries and they, they can stay at home with the kids and they can do, all, they're, they're, they're almost celebrating this thing. And whereas the working class uh, has really suffered in, in a serious way. And my all cause mortality analyses show that young men in Alberta, BC, Ontario uh, actually died more than than is normal, way above the historic trend. So if they're dying, that means there's an enormous amount of suffering and you, you can you can feel it. It's palpable. Uh, so the government has been vicious has destroyed the economy, has isolated people, has treated them badly. And then, you know, adding insult to injury at the end saying that, that the demonstrators were racists. That's just the most disgusting thing that the prime minister could have done. I mean, I was, I was there, uh, often we're talking about families. We're talking about people who are authentically concerned for their mm. future, of their children, the future of the country. Like for the for the Prime Minister to characterize this this important political and social movement as just as just a fringe movement that is racist. I mean that's the most disgusting political statement I've ever heard. Yeah.
1: Well, how's this for a segue? With all those trucks are they warming up the planet?
0: <laughs> right. Well I, I, I I would like them to. I wish. I wish the science was such that they could warm up the planet because we could do. We, we could do with a, a warmer planet. The planet has been so much more alive, literally, with life when it was warmer in in the history of this planet. And it certainly wouldn't hurt humans uh, to have a warmer place, especially not in Canada here. So I, I'd welcome it if it were true.
1: You are speaking sacrilege denis how can you talk about co2 in a positive way
0: <laughs> yeah right it's this it's this poison it's this this pollution it's not at all I mean it's it's just crazy uh, it's nonsense it's crazy nonsense it's a propaganda campaign mm. that was started in uh, early 1990s just a- after the uh, dissolution of the Soviet Union they had this world forum on environmental issues and Um, they've been toying with the idea of making, of, of, uh, using CO2 and and so-called global warming as, as their main kind of ideological prop in, in trying us to be concerned about something. And it's a, it's a new, it's a new kind of global religion, if you like. And it was really put into place in a very systematic way. I, Mm -hmm. I wrote about that, as you know, I've got a large geopolitical paper that explains that in great detail. Uh it's it's a lie. I mean I, I studied the fundamental science of it, the physics papers that first came out that were uh calculating the effects of CO2 on the mean uh, surface temperature of the planet. I, I know all that. And um the, the first uh physicists that were climatologists, physicists that were doing that correctly, um were very careful about not uh suggesting that CO2 was important they were very, very careful because they knew that their calculations were very simplistic. They, they were looking at Mm. the average CO2 concentration and nothing. And, and there's huge variability in time, you know, seasonal and, and across the surface of the planet. And they, they were just averaging all that to win one way or another, to be able to do the calculations. So they knew that their calculations were very tenuous and they were very careful about stating it. But then the, then the political scientists, if you like, and, 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 Elements of the establishment that wanted to use this um, started really exploiting that this science that this science had been done and mm. what to do with it and um, well there, you can you can study who the players were and everything but it's very dishonest. It it's it's, uh, uh,
1: was How did carbon dioxide become the enemy?
0: Well, it's, it's all fabricated. It's, 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 it's a campaign. It's ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. How did it happen? I mean, they, they just, they knew that you had theoretical calculations, highly simplified calculations that where you could calculate what, what would happen to the average mean surface temperature. If Mm. you doubled the amount of CO2, for example, or quadrupled it, This, this is the nature of the calculations originally. And because you can do the calculation and because CO2 is uh, an emission from burning or, and from breathing as well, by the way, Um, uh, they decided it was a good way to um, start to control fossil fuel consumption and who could produce fossil fuel. And, you know, because fossil fossil fuel, uh, petroleum and so on is the basis for the U S dollar, which is the world currency. So you can't have too much of it because then you can't control it. So if Russia Mm -hmm. has a lot of fossil fuel, Venezuela has fossil fuel, Canada has fossil fuel, you got to find some way to, you know, traditionally, they they all they needed to do was militarily occupy the Middle East and they were in business, they could sell the fossil fuel at whatever inflated price they wanted and and uh, force people to buy it using U.S. dollars, which uh, became known as the petrodollar. And Mm -hmm. that is how they were able to have Uh, The artificial value of the U.S. dollar as the world currency uh, held up there, you know, and tied to some tangible real thing that people need, which is this form of energy that is that is in great demand. Um, So it's all tied together like that. So so I think they they devised a scheme whereby they would uh, be able to they wanted it as an option to control the world, if you like. Uh, Nowadays, I think they've abandoned the idea that they can hold on to a petrodollar uh, because there's just too much fossil fuel in the world, Mm. (laughs) Canada, but as well, it's everywhere. And um, so I think they're going now towards a global e-currency that they want to impose. And I think that that's what the ID passports are all about. They want to tie every single individual bank account to this system that they can control. And that gives uh, their uh, world currency, their new world currency, that they're that they're uh, gradually putting into place. Um, that gives it its 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 reality, if you like. So the reality was based on on uh, fossil fuel resources uh, previously, and other resources as well that were tied to the U.S. dollar. I I, I did the history of that in my paper on geopolitics, and um, they're moving towards actually tying it to people's productivity, people's lives, people's everything. So. So that it's inescapable that they, mm-hmm. they will control the, the world currency and they need to control the world currency if they want to uh, f- continue exploiting developing countries like they have for the last many decades. The main tool of exploitation is to control the, the uh, world currency and print as much of it as you want and be the, be the boss of that. Right. right. So they're trying to create an electronic currency that will be throughout the Western controlled world that will be so strong and so well organized. And, and if you're not part of it, you're blocked from trading with this entire block uh, that uh, Russia and China will be forced to integrate their e-currencies that they are developing into that same system. And the US, of course, will maneuver to have as much control over that as possible. So that's that's part of the plan right now. And at the same time, they're intimidating China and Russia, going to basically threatening real war with them and also uh, economic blockades, sanctions up up the gazoo, as you would say, Uh, they're, they're doing all of that. And I think COVID is a pretext to impose war measures on the domestic populations as they move into this very, very uh, aggressive economic war with China and uh, and its allies,
1: it's a Trojan horse. Yeah.
0: Sure, it, yeah, it's it's a it's a way to to uh, start. It's it's an advance that allows you to get the population to accept the idea of of ID passports and being injected and and be, lockdowns. And it, it, and it and it psychologically uh, makes you subservient. You're willing to be injected by the government and so on. Right. Uh, so it has it, it has many tactical uses this campaign, even if they abandon it eventually, even if they back down and say, OK, then you don't need to get vaccinated anymore. You know, we've got Omicron now and and it's not as as uh, virulent as it was. I mean, this is all crap, but mm. Uh, they even if they back down from that, they are not going to back down from an ID uh, that is tied to you and to your bank account. Yeah, they that will do it no matter what. <laughs> oh, they're, they're going to do that no matter what. That that is their plan to control the world. And uh, that they're not backing down from that. They're putting that in place. So they for political reasons and to convince you psychologically, they might they might have more of these COVID like scares. Mm. They might use climate, AIDS. they might do other things. AIDS. AIDS um, Yeah, they might, they might do all kinds of things, but uh, in, in the end, they're, they're marching full steam ahead with this ID and a complete control over your, every movement, every life, complete surveillance, being able to uh, lock you out of your own uh, bank account whenever they want. All of this is going to become, is, is what they're planning and what. And so our only defense is to somehow get political, some political power to be able to at least control it, at least uh, make uh, some abuses illegal and so on. Right? Uh, So we'll just do the best we can with the popular movements and the politicians that are willing to stand up and, and represent actual people. We'll see what happens, but that's where we're going. I think what'll change our circumstances more than anything is the, is what is the degree of success that China, Russia, Eurasia will have in keeping their sovereignty and, and in controlling their own development. And and the more success they have doing that, the harder it will be for for the West to control its domestic population. You can actually historically see when they decided that it would be the main a main component of their indoctrination, and of their plan to get to get. You see, because I think the currency is intended to be uh, carbon based as well. Mm. So in terms of controlling development of nations, it'll be carbon based, and in terms of being locked to reality it'll control everybody's uh, bank accounts. So um, I I think that's what they intend. Uh, All the national banks are going full out on the importance of so called climate change, and so on, you know, Uh, so this is where they're going. And um, scientifically, it's complete nonsense. COVID was complete nonsense. And climate change is complete nonsense. nonsense.
1: Yeah, let's let's quickly uh, horseshoe there. Right. So when they talk about climate change, Denis, what do they mean? Because it sounds, it sounds so self-evident, that climate changes.
0: Yeah. It, 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 it was embarrassing when they talked about global warming. When they, when they called it global warming, it started to become embarrassing because a lot of people like myself and others have pointed out repeatedly that if you actually uh, take the best data you can about the, the average temperature of the surface, it's not changing. And you can't see, you can't really statistically detect a change. Uh, so, it you you have to make it up. You have to massage the data. You have to exclude the points that you don't like and and emphasize and uh, the mm. points and the regions that you do like that help your story. And you have to, uh, you know, recalibrate the satellite data. And you have to. I mean, NASA is has become a propaganda instrument completely. You know, they put out these maps. I mean, you. It, It's it's a classic thing. You see you see the temperature graphs uh, of thirty years ago, and then you see after they've renormalized and corrected, and it climbs up a little bit, and then they do a new renormalization and correction, climbs up a little more. And uh, I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. And the uncertainties in trying to do what they do are enormous. I mean, I've studied and written about this. It's it's I I could go on and on about the uncertainties involved in what in what they try to do to try to demonstrate this there's an actual warming, but it's just so darn hard to force the data into suggesting that there might be a warming that they, I think that was one of the reasons they dropped this global warming nomenclature and went into climate change because climate change has the advantage. Uh, it, it's purely a propaganda choice, but it's the choice that allows them to say, oh, well, it's not so much the average temperature of the planet. It's um, it's extreme weather events. Okay. So they make it all about extreme weather events Well, they're getting into trouble with that because serious studies show that there are not more tornadoes. There are not more hurricanes. There are not more anything. You know, I did a very detailed paper uh, back in. I'm looking at my notes here. 2016, I wrote a big paper about forest fires in North America and in the world. And I demonstrated unambiguously. Mm that historically there were way more forest fires naturally in the natural world. And before there was a lot of human development on in the Western world and so on, there were way more forest fires of greater extent mm. of greatest duration. You can see the record of forest fires in tree rings, in lake sediments, in, uh, you know, because of the carbon deposits uh, you can, you can actually scientifically study this and it is natural for there to be large forest fires. In fact, a lot of uh, biolog- biological species are, are, are specialized in exploiting the fact of life mm. just after a forest fire, you know, and there's a whole cycle, but the cycle is on decadal uh, cycles, you know, it's not, it's not every year we've got to put out every single forest fire because it'll burn our homes and things because we live near these, these places now, right? Yeah. Um, if you, but if you actually look at the science of forest fires, uh, what is determining the frequency and intensity of forest fires now is development roads that separate the lots you know and that are and that are protected uh, forest management all these things but if if nature had its way there would be way more forest fires and they'd be of greater extent if, if we had natural forests well, the the thing that controls forest fires is two things how much fuel is there in the undergrowth how much how much deadwood have you accumulated, basically, mm. and so on. That's one, one factor. And the other, the other big factor is drought. So when you have fuel that you've accumulated and you have a period of, of uh, drought and, and, and really dry weather and hot weather for a long time, then you, you have created circumstances where it's going to flare up. And you don't have to wait long. The you know the next the next uh, lightning bolt, the next whatever, it's you're going to have fires. You can't control the sources. Once you have those those conditions, it's going to happen. And I've explained the 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 science of that, and I've explained it all. Anyway, it, it's all a bunch of nonsense. This idea that there are more forest fires as a result of CO two in the atmosphere—that's just complete nonsense. I, in fact, I, I found, I found a famous paper that was in science magazine that, that said that it, it found a correlation between increased CO2 in modern times and more forest fires. And it turns out that they were measuring forest fires, uh, using old methods versus modern methods. So when you, once they put infrared cameras in the satellites, you could see a lot more forest fires. Once they went from looking for forest fires, using binoculars and towers to satellites, there were a lot more forest Mm. fires. Then once you go to infrared sensors, there's even a lot more forest fires. So the the increases in forest fires was due to the changes in technology had nothing to do with actually there being more forest fires. And this was the paper in science that got everyone excited, that cited all the time that journalists always go back to when they want to talk about the, the, this Mm. connection with CO2. And it was completely trashed that paper by real experts in a specialized journal that pointed this out that, you know, if you want to count forest fires, you can't do this. Right. Right. So um, I pointed all that out. I've written about it. That was my paper on forest fires. Uh, um, I've been working on this for a long time. My first paper on global warming was in 2007. Yes, I read that paper. Yeah, it was called Global Warming Truth or Dare. Yes. And that paper had a big impact. Uh, and it was read in large, it was read, many parts of it were read at the US Senate. And uh, I, had, I had a friend calling me up saying, they're reading your paper at the Senate, <laughs> you know, this kind of thing, and um, at a Senate committee. So um, it had a big impact. And it, um, it kind of made a lot of lefties uncomfortable, because I was saying, look, stop, stop adopting <laughs> this, this crazy ideology about CO2. If you want to um uh save the forests mm. then save the forests. you know <laughs> don't talk about co2 and 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 i argued from the start that the best way to manage resources was to have democracy and to allow the inhabitants to have a big say in managing the resources yeah uh, whether it's the amazon forest or the canadian mm. north the, you know, the the boreal forest or wherever it is um if you want to save the forest then then keep out um, let the inhabitants have a say, which means that uh, large corporations won't be able to come in and clear cut whenever they want, and they won't be able to strip mine, and they won't be able to uh, shave down Amazon forest to, for, for, for other uses and so on. So as, if, you, if you respect the inhabitants and if you respect the process of democracy, you're going to be protecting the environment. Mm. And and those are the those are the big factors that make a difference. So it's nothing to do with CO two, nothing to yeah. do with CO two.
1: Just on the topic of CO two, Denis, how important is CO two? I remember when I was in school, I was taught that without it, there is no life on Earth. So it seems counterintuitive that the powers that be want to reduce it.
0: Yeah. Well, you know. Uh, it's a, it's a too extreme scientifically to say there would be no life on earth because there's a lot of organisms that don't rely on plant life to live there, there. There's even organisms that, that breathe, but without oxygen, you know, that use other, other, uh, uh, biochemical cycles for their energy and so on. So, you know, you, there are all kinds of microbes. I mean, life is extremely resilient. So you, you can't get rid of, uh, life on, on the planet just by removing CO2 but certainly CO2 is essential for plant growth. The, 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 main plants the main, uh, uh, photosynthesis cycles and everything. They, 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 uh, uh, um, uh, use CO2 to build the plant material and then you eat the plants and so on. So it's the mm-hmm. whole cycle. So CO2 is plant food and it's an essential nutrient for plants. And, uh, when you increase the amount of CO2 in a, in a, in a controlled environment, plant growth generally goes up. It's in many circumstances for many species of plants, it's, it's a growth limiting nutrient. So it's, it's an important thing. Um, So, so CO2 is not, is not toxic in any way. It's not dangerous in any way. It's, it's, it's odorless. Uh, Mm. You can't, you really have to try to poison yourself with CO2. You have to, you have to not have oxygen and breathe only CO2 for a while, you know, that kind of thing. So, I mean, it's not a very dangerous uh, gas.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know. I don't know of anybody who's died from being in a greenhouse.
0: <laughs> a greenhouse gas that has like four times the amount, of the concentration of CO two. That's right. No, you don't die from that. No, mm. no, you don't. So, um, so yeah, but that's the gas itself. I mean. Um, I've done the physics, the radiation balance calculations about how you actually calculate the mean temperature of the surface of the planet Earth. And that was a paper I wrote back in 2011. It's a, it's a very, it's a rigorous physics paper. And it's a, it's, Mm. I think it's a clever paper. It's a really good paper. I just learned uh, this year, in fact, that there's an astronomy professor at Harvard that's using my paper to teach. Uh, about planets at Harvard, mm. so it's it's a good paper. Um, I didn't publish in a journal because I didn't want to go through the hassle of of of, of putting up with the reviewers and everything. So yeah. I put it up on the internet back in 2011. It's it's got all the calculations that that show that uh, doubling CO2 has virtually, you know, a negligible effect. But 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 it's an, it it shows more than that. It shows a lot of things. My my calculation. Uh, do you want me to get into it a little bit? Please do. Or, no, yeah. please do. Okay. Yeah. So the thing is about the 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 temperature of the of the surface of the planet. The thing is the things that matter most are the emissivity of the surface and the albedo of the surface of the planet. So there's two things. There's the properties of the surface, what's on the surface of the planet and the and the and the radiation properties of that surface. And then there's the properties of the atmosphere. And so how transparent is it to the visible light coming in and how how much does it scatter or, and re-emit the infrared that's trying to get out from the planet, okay? Because if you've got uh, a visible light coming in, being absorbed and the infrared can't get out as much as it would like to initially, then you're gonna warm the surface of the planet. When the, when the planet gets warmer, it emits more infrared. So eventually more of it gets out and then you, you get a balance. And that balance is what determines what the average temperature of the planet's going to be. So that in a nutshell is how it works. Of course, the planet is spinning and you have, it's a sphere and it's complicated, but overall that's what's going on. So in that calculation of radiation balance, the things that matter most are emissivity of the surface. And that means once the surface is at a certain temperature, how much infrared does it actually emit at that temperature? Well, it turns out that emissivity of the surface depends on what's on the surface. So the emissivity of rocks is very different from snow mm. and and where you have plants, if that is grassland and they're dry grasses, the emissivity is very different from a lush uh, Amazonian forest, for example, okay? A- extremely different. So um, If you start to change your land use practices and you're shaving down forests and doing things like that, mm. and you're doing water management, because how much humidity how much water is in the plants, how, uh, you know, what kind of plants are growing and how much, how much water content do they have? All this determines emissivity. So the things we're doing at the surface of the planet have 10 times more effect than if we were doubling CO2. I showed that in my calculation. The other factor is albedo. Again, albedo is really important. Uh, Albedo is how much light is reflected off the surface of the planet, like uh, visible light from the sun, for example. Well, okay. Snow you know, reflects light really, really well. Um, but what if you have a lot of air pollution and what if there's soot in the air and so on, mm. and it deposits on snow, then that changes the albedo of snow quite dramatically. And so uh, pollen, all kinds of things. So if you have uh, megacultures, monocultures and, and their pollen, and it gets swept around the planet, that, that can change the albedo of snow. So the, the things that humans are doing matter. But the effect of albedo and emissivity are ten times greater than what you could hope to achieve by changing the amount of CO2. And, and so it's ridiculous to be talking about CO2 and not be talking about uh, everything else that we're doing to the planet. If you're if you want it, that's if you want to talk about the average temperature of the planet in this right. radiation transfer calculation. But I would argue you don't even want to talk about that. What you want to talk about is how do we get along? How do we have justice? How do we have economic justice? How do we have f- a fair world? How do we have mm-hmm. uh, distributed development, democracy? Those are the things we should be talking about. Right. Um, um, and, and those things will ensure that the management of the resources is equitable, balanced, uh, not, uh, you know, mass exploitations where you just do horrendous things that uh, that then you, you you figure out, oh my god, that was the wrong thing to do. You know, there's so many examples of brilliant technological things that we thought were, were good and were were considered mm. programming rotations that turned out to be extreme disasters, right?
1: I always get asked the question, okay, but are you saying we mustn't care about pollution? Climate change and pollution are two different things, right?
0: Absolutely. I, I mean, mean I don't want to grieve Toxic air. I don't want to breathe, mm. uh, you know, uh, fumes and and particulates of all kinds of horrible things. You know, um, uh, when I visited China in 1991, uh, there were places where you'd have a hard time walking. I would want to wear a face mask in some of these places because they had to use coal for all their cooking and everything they did. You know, and they were using coal in in the open air. I I mean, I I, I visited friends in a high rise apartment. And the, 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 there was a coal uh, pit in the hallway where they did their cooking on a walk, you know, Uh, so the hallway was a pretty nasty place. You had to open the windows at both sides and so on. So of course, pollution is not something you want. And of course it would be better to have natural gas coming in and electricity and so on And, 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 and you don't want raw sewage running in the streets and you don't want all, but, you know, we figured that we have the technology for a clean environment, a clean living environment. And we've been using it for a long time. And the only places that do not have that technology are the aboriginals in Canada that have to that that have poisoned water and that have uh, horrible environments because they're confined to reservations and Mm. and they're not allowed to exploit the traditional territories that they've always uh, hunted on and fished on as much as they would like to. because uh, because mining companies come in and and logging companies come in and they and they use all kinds of coercion and things and and bribes and things to make sure that they can get what they want. And so as a result, there is a population that is suffering a lot of environmental damage locally, that affects their health. There's no doubt about that. So environment pollution is a very important thing. But um, I I, most most uh, professional living in the city don't have to worry about it. Yeah.
1: Okay, but there are a billion straws floating in the ocean. Are you saying you don't want those straws? No, obviously nobody wants straws floating in the ocean because it, it affects marine life and it's and it's ugly. Well but...
0: I'm a story, but I, I I I will believe it when I see it. I want to see the straws. I don't believe the little pictures that they're showing us. The little, <laughs> okay, but little, uh, But you get what uh, I'm saying. Show me show me show me satellite pictures mm. and show me the calibration of the Uh, satellite probing technique and show me that you've Mm. actually proven that there are all these uh, plastic straws floating in the ocean, Mm. because I don't believe it. Uh, I I believe that you can probably find spots where there are accumulations like that, you can drive your you can drive your boat into them. And I believe you can take good pictures and and, and talk about it. But I don't believe that it's a a planetarily significant phenomenon.
1: That's what I'm asking. Yes. So so in other words, that's not going to change the temperature of Earth.
0: It, it, it's, and it's not what affects uh, uh, aquatic life in the oceans either. I can guarantee that mm. what affects the aquatic life in the ocean is fishing by humans. Mm. <laughs> Let's face it. I mean, and, and uh, all of the ways that humans change the, the landscape that borders with the oceans, those things have way bigger impacts on wildlife in the ocean, aquatic wildlife and, mm. and, and, and because there's a lot of, there are many species that rely on that connection between land and water, and that rely on it in various sensitive ways. And we're constantly occupying all the good, all the good uh, land there with, with industry and housing and you name it. So those things have way more impact on the natural world than to talk about stupid straws and how they end up making their way into, into the ocean. And by the way, They only make their way into the ocean because we don't want our landfills to be too filled. So we ship our garbage to the developing world and they 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 are paid to receive it and they promise to deal with it. But they dump a lot of it. And that's how it gets into various Mm -hmm. places Uh, often. Often. I mean, a straw that you use in Ottawa and Canada does not make its way in the ocean because I threw it into the Ottawa River. Okay. these are mega industrial projects of shipping garbage to the developing world and they sort through it and they see what they can use and they're paid to receive it. And then, you know, they they cut corners and it ends up back into the ocean and so on. Right. So, uh, or, or they ship it out on the bars, barges, and they dump it in the ocean. So, so if you want to stop with the straws in the ocean and plastic garbage and all kinds of garbage, stop, Stop being irresponsible with your own damn garbage and, mm-hmm. and you're not going to achieve it by forcing me in a cafe in Ottawa to use a paper straw instead of a plastic straw. That's just <laughs> nuts. Let's pretend that the problem is that I'm, I have to be socially responsible enough to use a paper straw. Let's pretend that's the problem <laughs> instead of talking about what, the, what contracts the government has to ship its garbage to people and and and, and mm. force them to take it because economically they're disadvantaged and they're being paid to receive it and so on. I mean, this is just crazy. This is just crazy nonsense. And it's part of the, it's part of the, uh, the state religion, you know, that, mm. that we're environmental and we're, and we're good people and we, we follow all of these protocols about pollution and what materials we use and, and what we eat and all this is just nonsense. Denis, is there,
1: is there any evidence that in the history of Earth, that life has suffered because of increased levels of carbon dioxide. I, I ask that because I've, I've, I've <laughs> no, seen graphs. plenty of
0: evidence of the opposite. Yeah,
1: yeah, I've seen graphs of where the CO2 levels have been very, very different. And life, for what I can understand in, in the literature, Look, seems to have flourished.
0: Yeah, sure. CO2 is not what determines... It, well, you have to have enough of it that you've got plant growth. And the more you have it, the more plant growth you're going to have. But temperature is also very important. There have been much hotter periods. The, the, mm-hmm. the earth has generally been a much warmer planet in the history of the planet, okay? There, there have been big changes where uh, life itself has changed the planet. You know, when you, when, when you start having plants produce uh, produce uh, oxygen, uh, that, that changes a lot of things, uh, so on, right? So there, been, there's been uh, historically on the evolutionary scale, many things, including the evolution of life itself that have changed the planet, but there is no way you can connect lows in CO2 with harm to biodiversity or to life on the planet. There's no way you can causally connect those. That's, that's just, that, that would be crazy. What you want to avoid is an ice age and, and a big ice age. That's what you want to avoid if you want to talk about what harms life on the planet talk about ice ages i mean and they have been cyclical and they come back you know in in in, in the recent history of the planet you know every 10,000 years or so you have a serious uh, winter problem <laughs> and that mm-hmm. that that changes the landscape that changes everything uh, that's a game changer right there um so uh this nonsense about co2 and the yeah I, I can't see it, but I have to say that before you can change the average surface temperature of the planet by one degree, you're going to have to work very hard. You know, there's a lot of balancing influences. There's no way, you know, th- this is predominantly determined by uh, large feedback mechanisms and so on. And uh, CO2 is just not going to do it. My, my calculations show that there's no way you could, there's no way you could ever achieve that by you. you by having enough CO2. And, and besides, we don't know how the other gases, how the composition of the atmosphere would respond and, and the other components of the atmosphere, the particulate components of the atmosphere, what, how would they respond to a significant increase in CO2? And that would change the temperature. We don't know mm -hmm. any of these things. It's all very theoretical. Um, I think we should concentrate on behaving and getting along, behaving Mm -hmm. in the sense of being, social animals that are not uh trying to control the planet every single culture on earth and and that are war 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 warish and and power hungry i think we should concentrate on on those things Mm -hmm. uh and uh, you know being being proper with our neighbors and getting along and uh um you know the u.s doesn't want anyone else to develop pure and simple they want to, they want to be the boss of everything and, and exploit everyone and not really allow any development as soon, you know, as soon as their so-called allies were developing under the Bretton woods agreement, they, they turned off the tap. They said, okay, looks like you're developing too much. You're going to surpass us. So we'll, and they, and they completely crushed them, uh, by, by unilaterally, uh, getting out of the Bretton woods agreement. And, and that was the first big acceleration of so-called globalization where, U.S. companies came in and controlled more of the global finances and so on. And then the, they did the same thing in 90, 91, 92, when mm. the Soviet Union dissolved, it was the, the next big acceleration of so-called globalization, where they, they the U.S. companies just gobbled up everything. Huge corporations were being eaten away. Your Euro, European corporations just disappeared. Talk about an extinction of species, you know. Um, So this is what the U.S. is used to doing. They're used to being the bosses of the world since the Second World War. And all of a sudden, China and Russia, because of their systems of government, their cultural systems and so on, they were able to resist that and to preserve their sovereignty and to control and have their own development.
1: Tamara, who is in Greece, and she's watching right now, and she has a very interesting question. She's asking about the the influence um, in terms of what is the term she used geoengineering. Um, how how impactful is that um, on Earth's climate?
0: I don't, I don't, I don't think that there there are, it's being practiced on a scale that's significant in terms of having any real impact. I mean, because it's nothing compared to land use changes that we operate simply Mm. through our industry and agriculture. Those are, those are much bigger effects than anything that could be technically, technically called geoengineering. And so I, I think in my view, it's a Mm. Uh, non-issue I'm not saying it doesn't exist. Uh, There have been large scale tests. There've been large scale tests of uh, putting aerosols into the atmosphere and seeing what happens locally in terms of radiation balance. There have been large scale tests of putting nutrients into the ocean to see if you really do get more aquatic life productivity as a result. They they used uh, iron particles and they were you know, they they did large scale experiments like that from ships. So geoengineering and geo bioengineering uh, is is real. It's something that that scientists do that nations try out. They want to know what they what, what they can do, what works, what doesn't. It's a real phenomenon, but I um, I don't think that it's impactful anything like the all, all of human development and mm-hmm. all of human land, especially. I don't think it's impactful anything like that. You have to find ways to ridicule them. Yes, I think that's one of the one of the methods, right? And and you're a humorist. You're you you're great at that, and uh, so you're you're probably going to have you and the people who do that kind of work are probably going to have more of an influence than scientists. They don't listen to people like me (laughs) you know they no, they censor us they censor us and they don't want to hear us and they won't read our papers and the you know the the, the, this most scientists are just careerists who are Mm. service intellectuals and they'll do whatever they'll do whatever research that the government and industry funds and that's what they'll do and and they want to keep getting those research funds and that's how they advance their careers and they peer review each other and anyone yeah. else who tries to say something else gets completely barred from publishing in the, in the scientific journals. And if you do have any success at all, then the mainstream media will, right. will, uh, denigrate you and treat you like you're in, you're an idiot to make sure nobody listens to any of your ideas and to, mm. and, and to make it clear to all other scientists that you can totally disregard this guy. Right. I mean, that's why I was so surprised when this Harvard astronomy professor called me and said, I'm using your paper in my courses on planetary science. Like, whoa, this guy's this guy's special. (laughs) He's actually reading outside of just the approved literature and finding things that that are rigorous and that he that are pedagogical that people can understand and discuss. Right. So I was I was surprised about that.
1: How important is the sun?
0: Oh, the sun is extremely important i mean take take the sun away we're, we're gone we're dead uh, sorry the sun, let me just the sun yeah is... let me just
1: interject and say the reason why i'm asking that is because i've had i've had a few conversations in the past uh about the sun and how the sun's impact on climate change has been ignored by the ipcc
0: yeah anything that doesn't fit the co2 fossil fuel narrative is going to be downplayed ignored uh not mentioned, not talk about, there'll be no, there'll be no funding that uh, that will go to that kind of research and so on. But the sun is, is vital. I mean, the sun uh, is throwing uh, all this radiation at us and the planet has an atmosphere and has an ionosphere and, and protects us from a lot of that radiation, but changes there, there are all kinds of changes on the planet on, on long time scales, you know, the, the magnetic poles reverse every once in a while mm-hmm. and that changes how the ionosphere is structured and that lets in more radiation. And you can see effects of that in the biosphere if you study it, uh, if you look at it historically. Um, and so, uh, you know, all these things are important. This is the planet that we live on, so it's important to try to understand it. What, what are the big, what are the big effects and everything? But in the short term of our lives and over even centuries, it's a relatively small thing. I mean, there was a little ice age in Europe and in most of the world that was very significant. That's well-documented and that is believed to coincide with, and I think that's very probable, uh, coincide with lower activity of the sun, more sunspots, lower activity of the sun. And it's the best explanation we have to the little ice age that happened, uh, you know, some centuries ago that, you know, where rivers, froze up and there was snow in places that you never get and all that kind of stuff and that lasted quite a while so these these phenomena are very important and we don't fully understand them we don't even i would say we mostly don't understand them and so who knows what's going to happen but i can tell you one thing the next the next time the sun has a hiccup Mm. yeah we're going to know about it okay and and i can tell you one thing I, I predict, I predict that humanity will not survive burning out of the sun. Okay. <laughs> I don't care what you think about traveling to other planets and things. When, when that, when the sun, you know, the sun's been around, you know, we've got a couple more billion years of good life here and then we're gone. We're gone. Mm. It's, it's over. It's finito, you know? Mm. Uh, and the, there's going to be preliminary stages to that burning out and it's going to be nasty. Um, It's going to be. I mean, they should be making Hollywood films about that, you know. Uh, if you want to make futuristic films, uh.
1: you know, Denny, you say a billion years. I can't wrap my head around that 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 kind of time period. I just can't.
0: Yeah, yeah, no. It's it's we we don't have any personal experience that's relevant to understanding <laughs> phenomena on that time scale, and the phenomena are very difficult to imagine and to follow. Uh, you have to train yourself at it. You know, we're talking about evolution, for example, Mm. you know, how does evolution work? Well, I don't, I haven't seen any, any evolution in my lifetime. You know, I, well, I'm just, I'm shocked at how stupid some people are. I'm shocked when smart things come up, but I haven't seen any evolution. Well, you you would need to be around for an awfully long time to see, (laughs) to see the results of evolution. Right. But it, it is a real biological phenomenon, uh, I believe. I believe that that is a, a, a theoretical uh, a theory. Well, it's a, it's a theory that explains a lot. It just mm. puts so many things together. And you can. it's predictive as well. It's predictive of how things went and what you're going to find when you, when you study these phenomena. So it's, it's a fantastically powerful theory of one of the th- things that's happening on the planet. But you you need you need long times to see it
1: if uh, fossil fuels run out.
0: Yeah, just to be clear, they're not about to run out. Um, we we keep saying they're going to run out. Mm. They're going to run out, and we keep finding more and more. And that's true of of the present time as well. We had no idea that Russia had so much gas. We had no idea that Canada and the U.S. had so much gas and 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 petroleum in in the in in sedimentary rocks, we we couldn't have imagined that, that we would be uh, looking at a a situation where the American dollar is at risk because there's too much fossil fuel in the world. So we're not about to run out. Um, And, you know, even if we run out of the of the gaseous and liquid forms, there is enough coal to keep uh, technology going for hundreds of years. There's there's enormous amounts of coal on the planet. And coal can be liquefied, it can be gasified. It, you know, we, we, can be, we can be using fossil fuel for a long, long time.
1: Do you consider, um, do you consider nuclear power to be a fossil fuel?
0: No, well, not, that's not the traditional way of using the term, uh, mm. but it, 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 it does rely on uranium and you have to mine uranium. So in that sense, it's, it's, a, it's an energy form that, that is very intensive in terms of mining. Um, so it's, it's limited in that sense. Uh, it, it's, it's expensive. And once you've, once you've run out of good deposits that you can mine at a reasonable price, then you're out of luck. Right. Um, but it seems very
1: clean though. I mean, I, I'm kind of alluding to, is it also a good alternative and, and clean?
0: Um, I don't know. I personally, I would, I would avoid it because I think that it's certainly not clean. When you look at the mining side of things, Mm. Um, then it's not at all clean. And when you look at uh, what do you do with the industrial waste from it, then you've got problems. So in, in, when you look at the full cycle of that energy source, I don't think it's clean. I would avoid it if I could, I mean, fossil fuel is much, much cleaner uh sure now we're getting into mining tar sands and things like that it's, it's a mess locally and even on a geographical scale but once you burn fossil fuel all you get is water vapor and co2 and whatever uh heavy metal contaminants happen to be in it if you didn't if you didn't uh, properly uh, clean it or if you're using dirtier varieties of it but overall it's a it's a very clean source of energy um i would i You know, nuclear technology is highly technological. It's prone to accidents. Um, You, the, the, the reactors age, you have to decommission them. It's very expensive to do. They can have accidents. And we know that now, right? We've, we've had so many, Japan and, and Russia and so on. And uh, the more you build of these things, the, they're, they're, they're ticking time bombs in the sense that. The materials that are used to contain for containment and the materials that are used in the reactors they age. They're, they 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 these things have a finite life and then they are extremely uh, contaminated afterwards. So um, it's 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 there are many more complexities and they're technological compared to fossil fuel use.
1: Compare um, that to the super fashionable trend of wind turbines and solar. Now even here in South Africa, I can drive up the coast, and I can see kilometers of these things. And 60% of the time, they're standing dead still.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the whole the whole wind wind industry thing is ridiculous. The, the, those mills are very expensive to produce, they have a finite lifetime. They they burn, they break, they crack and they cause low frequency noise that is known to give chronic headaches, uh, be harmful to animals, uh, you name it. I mean, in Canada, we have the regulations that you can't have. They can't be more than a certain distance from where people live and that kind of thing. Right. I mean, they're they're, there and people complain about uh, health problems in relation to them that appear much more real than many of the things I've seen related Mm -hmm. to other such things. So, uh, and they don't, they're not reliable. They don't, they don't, uh, they're not, they're not very productive for the, for the cost of putting them in. I mean, it's not, you've got to question yourself about whether or not this would be good to apply this, you know. They're ugly. They make the landscape,
1: they make the landscape look terrible.
0: Well, yeah, but it's propaganda. It's pure Mm. propaganda. Uh, The whole idea about electric cars, that's just total nonsense. Where does the electricity (laughs) come from? It comes from <laughs> nuclear power plants and power generation from fossil fuel. Mm. It doesn't come from it from solar cells or, or windmills. Okay, so you, you you're you're actually making it worse because you're worse in the sense of their narrative because you're you you have to make more product, you have to be able to store this stuff, and you have a, a much less efficient use of the of the primary energy that you're using to make the electricity. It's Mm. all just crazy. Um, So, uh, you know, I don't think a person should feel good because they live in the city and they have an electric car. I I don't think that it's justified to think you're helping the environment on that basis.
1: Do you think Earth will be okay with more carbon dioxide?
0: Well, I'm not sure that there will be more carbon dioxide. And I'm not sure that the increase in carbon dioxide now is predominantly... to the fact that we're injecting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. You see, you have to, you have to know that the, um, the atmosphere is a very small reservoir on the scale of the planet of, of carbon. The, the, the ocean itself in terms of dissolved CO2 is a much larger reservoir and the exchanges between these reservoirs are, are very important. Mm -hmm. And when you change, when you tweak something in those exchanges, it can have a much bigger effect than anything you might do in terms of actually putting CO2 into the atmosphere. You know, one, one people, one thing that people don't realize is that if you calculate how much sealed, what the CO2, of the constant uh, of the atmosphere should be given how much fossil fuel we have burned, it should be twice as much as what we actually have. So you have to ask yourself, where the heck did all that CO2 go? Mm-hmm. Okay. So a lot of it went into extra plant growth they're very happy and but the majority of it has gone into the ocean and then and then you get into this crazy nonsense about we're acidifying the ocean because a chemist can sit down on paper and say well if you put a lot of co2 in my beaker it'll become more acidic and therefore oh my god we must be killing the coral reefs that's a lot of nonsense there's a lot there there is no on-site field work that shows that there's acidification of the water and that it consequent it has consequences mm. in terms of life. So so there, there there is no measurement you can do that shows that the pH of the oceans has increased at, and especially not in a causal relation to CO2. So this is just it's just nonsense on nonsense on yeah. nonsense and they're really good at making it up you know as we go as we go. So how do you
1: up, how do you make- respond then how do you respond then to that famous hockey stick graph by Michael Mann?
0: They always use that.
1: Yeah, they always use that in the media.
0: Yeah. The hockey stick. Well, Mm. that is the hockey stick is a lie. Um, It is, it uses uh, completely different sources of evaluating proxies for temperature. Okay, and it joins them together. So for most of that hockey stick, they're looking at tree rings. And they're trying to deduce an average temperature from the widths and, and densities of tree rings, which is something in itself that's very difficult to do mm. and has many uncertainties related to it. But he, but, but especially it's a completely different measurement than using a thermometer, mm. you, using mm. thermometers on the surface of the planet, let's say a thousand or more uh, weather stations and trying to get an average from that. just, 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 just that concept is, is highly non-trivial. Um, But then the the quantity you get that you call an average temperature doesn't mean the same thing as the quantity you get from using a tree ring proxy, okay? So to, and and they don't join up, so you you have to do this. And the question is, but if you were to continue with the same method of using tree rings and you were able to go, let's say in the next 500 years and you did the same calculation, would it really show an uprise like that? Like you're getting in your in your fabricated, uh, Mm. measurements of temperature using thermometers, or would it just continue? And, uh, I would argue it would just continue. So the, the instrumental measurements of temperature are highly problematic because they're, Mm. they're, they're completely, they're, they're politicized. Okay. Every government scientist and every scientist that wants to gets published and advance their career, they want to see an increase. And when they observe a decrease locally, because that does happen, it must be an anomaly. They have to find the error. They have to correct it somehow, you know?
1: Is there not an argument to be made that the more urbanization you have with more concrete and more tar and all that kind of thing and fewer trees and less greenery, isn't there an increase in in temperature?
0: Right. Well, listen, the first thing I need to say is that... Um, before we scale it up to the level of the planet, locally speaking, those kinds of land use changes have a huge effect on the average local temperature in the neighborhood. Mm. There's no doubt about that. Okay. In other words, radiation balance is not something that averages over the whole planet. Radiation balances and, and imbalance is happening everywhere. So it's a very heterogeneous thing. You, you know, as well as I do on a hot day, you walk into the shade it's much cooler. Okay. There are huge differences locally on every, on every length scale, on every time scale day and night are dramatically different Mm. seasonal differences. So, so to even, you know, they've trained us to think about an average, but they haven't allowed us to think about what does that even mean Mm. and how do you calculate it? And so, so things like, uh, land use, for example, for example, here, here's, there are weather stations all over the country. And a lot of them are near airports, but the airport is developing mm-hmm. and there are more and more airport buildings and there are more and more runways and they're paving them and they're changing the vegetation and the, the, uh, water is being managed in the whole area because they don't want, they want to scare away birds. They wanted this, they wanted that. Well, those changes measurably dramatically affect the temperature that's measured in that ideal weather station that was originally historically put here to the point that they have to move them, you know, and then when they move them, are they, you know, is it the same temperature? Does it represent the same thing as it did before and before the development? Impossible to know. Um, So there, there, the the studies that have looked at this have said, oh, but we can correct for those effects. Mm -hmm. We can correct for development locally around weather stations. Okay. I looked at those studies. Let me tell you, no, you can't. (laughs) There are too many uncertainties. You cannot correct that away. You can do experiments to, sh- to try to estimate the magnitude of those effects. Uh, and even then your interpretations are tenuous at times. So the, all these effects are important, but you're asking me now, but cities are built, are, are, are growing. Yes. There is human development on the planet and that human development changes land use on a large scale. And that is 10 times more important. As I said at the beginning to the, how much CO2 you have in the atmosphere. Okay. The, 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 the planetary system in terms of the average temperature at the surface of the planet is 10 times more sensitive to large scale changes in use of the landscape than to increases in CO2 Hmm. because of emissivity and albedo effects. So you know, but nobody's, nobody's studying that nobody's writing papers about it. Nobody's trying to estimate the magnitude of it. Mm. Why is that? Well, because they don't get research funds for it. It's not funded. It's not considered an interesting question because it's only about land use. Also it's, it can be a very embarrassing study because who's developing the land? How are they developing it? Do you want to start being critical of the main land developers? Mm. Do you really want to do that? or would you rather stay in this sterile uh, theoretical plane where you're talking about just about CO2 in the atmosphere, you see? And so that, I I mentioned all that in my uh, 2007 paper.
1: Denis, if you were to impart some wisdom on people who are concerned about these sorts of things, what would you say?
0: Stop being concerned, Um, live your life, Try to figure out what's going on. Be honest, be authentic, be true, and don't believe their crap. You know, scientists only believe what they can measure or what they think they're measuring. Uh, that That's all they know. They only know what they can. So in a given discipline, they only measure certain things using certain instruments and methods. That's all they know. That's all they can see. And those measurements, are interpreted a certain way and are believed to mean a certain thing. And that's all they know. They can barely mm. step out of that. So most scientists are completely not useful. You don't want to be listening to them. Most experts you hear on TV are completely prepared and groomed by industry and by these uh, public relations firms. that spend billions of dollars selecting the right experts that are saying the right thing at the right time and grooming them and paying them and flying them first class to be interviewed at this or that mainstream radio station. I mean, this is happening all the time. Mm -hmm. Billions of dollars are being spent, whether it's promoting any, think of any big business and then think about how much they must be spending on PR firms. And we're talking all the high-tech companies, all pharma, agri-food, you name it, all the big mining companies, they're all, uh, manipulating politicians to make politicians believe what people care about. And they're trying to get people to care about what they want them to care about so that they'll influence politicians so that there will be no national laws that will negatively affect them. Okay. So they've been doing this for decades, decades and decades. And, uh, it's gone, there used to be some checks and balances. It used to be that professionals were independent thinkers and could as professionals make decisions and try to have an influence. Now they're just careerists in government jobs uh, looking out to, uh, to uh, be promoted and to not, not disturb anyone because they'll get a talking to by their boss. You know, and there, yeah. there's been decades of moving in that direction, decades of moving in that direction. So we're in a pretty sad state right now. So I would say to the people, if you wanna be concerned about something, be concerned about whether or not you're being truthful and authentic in your job. You know, if you're a professional who in principle has influence, Mm. are you trying to push the limits of that? Are you trying to make sense? Are you questioning? Are you questioning what you're being asked to do? Do you really understand what the program is and why it is? And uh, honestly, do you understand it? Have you thought it through? Have you started at the beginning uh, using the first concepts, the fundamental concepts? Do you really believe this? The the, the the stuff they're selling you as a professional employee and the public. And they want everyone to believe this. If you're a thinking person and you're concerned and you're authentic, mm-hmm. then think, <laughs> go, you know, get back in there and use your mind and do some research and, uh, and figure it out and then act accordingly. That's what I would say to them. Uh,
1: Denis, I saw a photograph of uh, my home city, Cape Town, a um, hundred years apart. Um, and, uh, but it's essentially the same photograph. So there's this big mountain called Table Mountain that's in the middle of the city. So the photograph was taken pretty much from the same spot, and it looks identical. Into in in actual fact, in actual fact, the land has gone into the ocean. They've developed into it from the you know the harbor and that kind of thing. And I keep hearing about how the sea level is rising and is going to be catastrophic. I don't see this.
0: No, it's nonsense. It's nonsense, total nonsense. And you know, how, how the heck do you measure the sea level change of one millimeter? <laughs> Tell me how you do that. The waves are a meter high. There's, there's, you know, there's, there's the tides, there's waves, mm. there's the um, uh, shoreline that is not changing for hundreds of years. And they put up this satellite and they're claiming that, you know, we've got an increase of five millimeters over here. Give me a break. You know, let, 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 let's look at how you calibrated this. Let's look at what you're actually doing. I'm a physicist. Let's take a careful look at your measurement here. Are you sure that there is no political bias in your measurement, you know? And in, and in your, your way of calibrating this instrument and in, dis, in, in convincing us that we've got a five millimeter increase here per, I don't know how many years and so on. I mean, it's just, this just science has become just another form of propaganda. It's very it's 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 technical mm. in nature and it's but it's pseudoscience and it's propaganda and and the reason is that um engineers and scientists are advancing their careers they're not trying to figure out what's really true mm. you know the the, the richard Feynman's of this world are gone the ralph nader's in terms of lawyers of this world are gone they they, they have been washed out they there's nothing left they, they they streamlined all the professional schools they they, they made graduate courses in all, the, in, in all the graduate programs. They are indoctrinating professionals more than ever before. Uh, the medical schools, it's just horrendous. you know. Medical, medical doctors are, cannot be researchers anymore. They cannot base their uh, decisions, their medical decisions, on observing their own patients and their own patient population. It's unheard of. You can't do that anymore. You have to follow protocol that's given to you from above and, you, and the protocol is changing all the time. You have to know what it is and that's your job. And if you don't do it, you're unethical, okay? So no more thinking, no more thinking. So all the professions have gone in this direction. It's been, you know, when, when I studied geopolitics over decades long, I see this and I see it. I see the institutional changes in the schools. They've actually structured it to go in this direction. And the people are telling them how to structure it. Guess who? It's, it's the influencers it's 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 the big corporations and it's the the uh deep state that wants a certain result mm-hmm. in the end and so on you take civic studies out of schools you do, you do everything to make it to take democracy away from people
1: denis in in front of you you've got a geopolitical climate change crystal ball <laughs> what do you see? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think that we're in we're we're into this for a decade. That's the kind of timescale regarding the ID cards and the the totalitarian nature of our Western societies now. So we're we're looking at the decade timescale that we're going to be fighting this. Um, and it's unpredictable who is going to succeed at pushing it back and where and how and when. Like like the truckers in Ottawa were unpredictable. We. I had no idea that there would be a social movement in Ottawa that would have this much impact. I mean, the, the political landscape in Ottawa has been transformed by the truckers. You realize that, eh? Like the the main opposition is the conservative government, and within three days, their leader was gone. They took him out and replaced him by someone else who had been uh, uh, critical of the of the uh, response to COVID. Uh, they replaced him right away. Um, so um and and trudeau is 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 in hiding largely and is being ridiculed everywhere and uh (laughs) i think i think the liberal government has has taken has taken a real blow so the political landscape was transformed by authentic people who had the means to make a statement in a powerful way um and it was unpredictable that that would happen And one, and it's a, and it's many circumstances created this one was that they wanted to force them to be vaccinated. I mean, we're talking independent thinking truckers who have their own rigs, who are used to being, uh, you know, their own bosses and who are being, and who don't listen to mainstream media. They talk to each other on CB radio. They, they, they talk to each other and they have a, a, a social network through meeting in, in truck stops and, 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 and that kind of place and, and so on. And you're, you're going to tell these guys that they have to be injected with a pharma product in order to keep working. And you think that all of them are going to agree with this? Well, no, that's one of the, that's one of these circumstances that, you know, in this complicated procedure created what it created. In addition to that, you've got young men that are suffering from law downturn of the economy, loss of job, being isolated socially. Mm. Uh, They're they're the category that has experienced the most deaths after elderly people, young men in Alberta, BC and Ontario. And so, Hey, I'll drive out there and be part of that. And they drive out in their cars and their pickup trucks and they camp out for a week or more. And uh, they're right there in the streets, and they're they're part of this. You know, it's not just the truckers with the big rigs. There are hundreds, thousands, and thousands of people who drove in from as far as British Columbia to be there. Um, it's 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 an absolutely it's a Woodstock. It's a political Woodstock happening in Ottawa, and uh, it has been amazing. And it has government giving criminal are just again, taking away their driver's licenses like fascists. Um, uh, and so that's that was unpredictable. So I don't know how things are going to go. The geopolitical circumstances of the economic war with Eurasia are going to change things and be determinative more than anything else. Mm. And so we have to wait and see, you know, five, ten years, see how that works out. See how trying to isolate Eurasia from economic development, see see how that's going to work out in the long run. I don't think it's going to work out. I think there's going to be breakaway countries from the Western alliance that are going to want to trade with China and that are going to, you know, they're going to suffer and the populations are going to demand it. They're going to demand that the economy come back and that we have better lives. And they're going to ultimately going to have to... Uh, Allow China to integrate with the rest of the world.
1: Where can people yeah. find your your uh, climate change uh,
0: okay. knowledge? So, if you go to my website denirancourt.ca there's under research. There's a whole section on climate change, and it has my article starting in two thousand seven, two thousand six, all the way to the present. And it also, but you'll be missing the geopolitical side of climate change. Which is in the geopolitics section of research in, on my website. So you got to go to the geopolitics section, see the latest big geopolitics paper that discusses climate change. You'll get the geopolitical, mm. you know, side of things. But on the climate change itself and the political debates about that, yeah, it's the climate. It's the climate uh, change section of my website.
1: Denis Ranker, I always am worried that I'm saying your name wrong because I'm not good with international names i hope i'm getting it fairly close
0: you get it you're 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 the best you're the best you're you're just nailing it every time (laughs) i think it's because
1: you're such a regular it's been such a pleasure as always uh i look forward to the next time (laughs) we chat (laughs) sure but thank you for joining me in the trenches as always
0: it was my pleasure jeremy thanks for having me
1: my name is jim this is jim warfare the battle of ideas If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.